I liked it. Mate, you look, mate, you look great. I feel great. Good, good. Mm -hmm. I love this. Mate, how long has it been since we've had a proper conversation? Uh, I don't want to think about that because it's way <laughs> too long. Me too, me too. Mate, there was a bit of a period there where, um, yeah, it was a little tricky um, to get anywhere. But, um, mate, how are you doing? What's going on? What are you up to? Dude, how much time you got? You want to just stop talking and I'll tell you the whole thing? Yeah, um, mate, give, give me the lowdown since, like, tell me what's been going on since, say, like, 2020 through to now. Just, like, briefly over, like, five minutes. 2020 through now, um, we went from two kids to three kids. We're about to go from three kids to four kids. My, yeah, my wife retired. <clears throat> so that's great. We restructured everything at Active Life. So we went from being the company who helps people get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym to being the company you can do much more than that and help people live a life of freedom without compromise. The idea that uh, you need to learn how to be the person who never would have had the pain in the first place. And so we teach you that. And then you automatically start doing the things that resolve whatever the problem in life is. And we facilitate your ability to do those things well. Um, we took our coaching education from a three month long course that was one hour a week to 13 months long. So effectively 12 hours to 13 months long and almost a thousand hours. We wrote an 800 page textbook. We recorded 18 hours of video content. We hired a team. We now have 30 employees. Uh, and four contractors. We opened our first brick and mortar facility to prove that what we do has efficacy and legs and we are on our way, man. Mate, that's wild. 30 employees. And then, you know, I think that just speaks volumes because I remember talking to you at your house and I want to say this would have been 2016. I was in your living room and, you know, you had these absolutely amazing dreams to build active life into something that's going to allow people to be pain-free, you know, be able to be autonomous and not have to go and visit a doctor and do it all from, you know, I guess a correspondent standpoint. And mate, what you're doing is freaking wild. I'm so, I'm so pumped. I'm so Thank pumped. You. Thank you. Our goal is a thousand locations. And, a thousand. and the thought process is we will have to educate 25,000 coaches to become active life professionals. In order to find 5,000 we want to hire, yep. the other 20,000 will be better than anybody on the market. And so other companies will want to hire them and we'll be able to place them at jobs that are inspiring for them and fulfilling for the companies to employ them. And the rest of them will be entrepreneurs successfully operating their own businesses. Mate, I freaking love it. Um, I wanted to just touch on a couple of things here today. Just a, a brief outline on what we like to do here over at Fiber is like we just like to talk to people that are making change in the world for the better, making people healthier, increasing performance across broad um, planes of expertise. Whether it's just you know you you work a career where you're you know at a desk but you're in pain, or you're an athlete in pain, or whether you're someone who just wants to perform in general, um, we like to talk about all things, whether it you know comes from actual manual training, whether it's performance in with nutrition or people that are just building cool businesses. Um, I think it's just a, a matter of getting people's um, 
opening people's eyes to what is possible. And that's what we like to try and do here as much as we can. So performance isn't just about, you know, competition floor performance. It's about just getting people pumped up to get after their day. And um, something that's changed since we last spoke is I'm living now on the Gold Coast. And I was actually having a chat to a couple of friends about living on the Gold Coast and how much it inspires you to get outside at like four o'clock in the morning. You are just pumped to get outside, to get after it, to do what you want to do. And and I think the area around here just breeds people to want to get after their mission and their purpose and, and you know, build build on the dreams that they've had. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do. So I just want to, I guess I want to use this as a, a way to share a bit of your story, share a bit about what you do, which you kind of briefed on just then, but, you know, maybe some also some maybe inspiring um, achievements that you've had with clients or what you've had with uh, people that you work with. And it obviously sounds like things are going really well, but not only are you doing it for you, but you have 30 employees now that, you know, that you're helping get through life and to supply what they do in their family life too. So um, today I just wanted to kind of go through all those types of things. I also wanted to talk to you about a couple of performance things that are going to help people with training. That's like, that's part of it as well. Um, and I know that you are big, a big, big one. And I actually saw a quote that you put up the other day and I loved it. It's like, if you knew how important, um, your training was, you would never miss a training session. And if, but if you knew how important your sleep was, you'd never miss, uh, your sleep for your training session. And I freaking love that. It's freaking mm-hmm. wild. Can you tell me a little bit about, it? I remember you telling me this eight years ago, if you get under a certain amount of sleep, hey, you should probably rethink or reconsider you going to the gym. Can you tell me a little bit about your philosophy on sleep and how much it actually impacts the way that you go about your daily life, whether you're training or not? Before I answer that, the answer is yes. Before I answer that, who who is who is listening to this? Are we are we talking to athletes? Are we talking to everyday people? Are we talking to coaches? Who do you think is listening? The well, it's actually a plethora, but we've got athletes that follow this page. We have naturopaths that follow this page we have business people that follow this page okay. um, or this podcast so we have a we have a wide range of people that are interested in performance in general um I, I guess that it's probably skewed to making people healthier and in the wellness space like our our naturopathic following is is quite large but people that are looking to find alternative ways to help them um on a regular basis without going to you know the um i guess the the recommended side of so, things so so the all right. So the way I want to attack this then is this. I like to look at habits, any habits, and sleep is a habit. Uh, the way we do it is a habit as indicators of lifestyle priority. And wherever we have deficiency in our habits, we have to address the priority. So all of like, the only reason we exercise is for the opportunity to recover. If, if it wasn't for recovery, then exercise wouldn't have any value at all. It would just be tearing us down and be catabolic and we'd all get, we'd die. Now, we can certainly debate whether today people are spending too much time recovering from not enough time exercising, but that's a, that's a different conversation altogether. If you're taking your health seriously and you're waking up after five and a half hours, six hours, even seven hours regularly of sleep, Somewhere you are prioritizing the wrong thing. And so what's happening is now you're coming in the morning or in the afternoon, whenever you exercise, and you're having to, a 10-pound weight is a 12-pound weight, whether you realize it or not. A 100-pound weight is a 120-pound weight. A one-mile run is a 1.2-mile run. 
And you're not actually getting the benefit of going the further or lifting the heavier. It works in reverse, right? So now what's actually happening is you're only lifting the 10 pounds, but instead of getting 10 pounds worth of benefit, it feels like 12 and it functions like eight and a half. So what we can do is we can make our workouts harder and we can focus on making our training better and dialing and everything else and our nutrition and everything. But everything fits on a scale like that when you don't sleep. So the first principal problem is why are you only getting five and a half to seven hours of sleep? Mm. And when we start evaluating that, what we get to is what are the things that you are finding more important than sleeping? Maybe they're watching a movie at night. Fine. That I get why people do that. There's, there's a wind down effect from a long, busy day. Maybe it's you're working a lot because you feel like you need to make more money. Maybe it's you're traveling to see someone who you love and they're far away and it's an hour drive there and an hour drive back. And it's just by the time you get there, you want to spend time. All of the reasons are valid and detrimental. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, the first principal problem is what can I do to sleep eight hours? Here's how I like to tell people to start doing it. Start sleeping eight hours and see what falls apart. Because right now what you're doing instead is everything else and you're letting your sleep fall apart. But your sleep is the thing that makes everything else go. So just start sleeping eight hours and see what else falls apart. And then start yeah. fixing that. Interesting. Well, put it in to, for someone, if you were to just, I'll give you a quick brief outline on, on how I'm sleeping. And at the moment, um, just so people can put this into context and maybe do a little bit of a, um, a self-diagnosis for themselves where they can see what things break down and what things suck for them. For me at the moment, I'm, I'm busy, but I'm happy. Like I'm super happy. I love getting after my work. I love being, I love being out there and, and going for it. I will generally, the sun comes up here at, you know, you're starting to see light poke through at 20 past four in the morning. So if I go to bed at roughly, you know, eight o'clock, 8.30, you know, it might take me, you know, 10, 15 minutes to drift off to sleep. Um, but then I'll find I will start stirring, you know, after about seven and a half, maybe seven hours and 15 minutes. I do would love to much prefer to be sleeping until eight and a half hours. And I don't know whether that's the case that my mind is just constantly on under under load or stress, but I'm training a hell of a lot less than I used to. And I kind of feel like to a degree, maybe I'm not tired enough. I maybe I'm not physically exhausted enough. But then again, I also, I'm kind of unsure of why I start tossing and turning or why I'm waking up in, in the middle of the night. Could it be a factor of, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just eager to get out of bed and I'm excited or is there probably something else that you think could be could be hampering if someone does get around a seven hours they're not like a four hour sleeper but a seven hour sleeper but would like the extra hour sometimes you... our body doesn't need eight if you're going to bed and waking up without an alarm clock and it's not a rooster that's waking you and it's not the sun shining in your eyes and you're not waking up tired you might be good with seven it's not something to obsess over it's mm. what it's if you're waking up to an alarm clock, slapping it, saying, oh, shit. <laughs> and then and then swiveling out of bed and then dragging your feet like that's a problem. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it, yeah. If, if you're if you're sleeping seven hours and waking up naturally and you're like, let's get the day, you're you're probably fine. Cool. Oh well that's that's kind of good to know. And you know, it's funny, it's funny you say it like that because I I'd always kind of wanted to force myself to try and get that eight and a half. But some days like I'll go to bed, I'll drift off, I won't wake up during the night, I'll have a, a beautiful night's sleep. And but I'll just rise and be like, oh man, I only slept for seven hours and a bit. And I'll think, oh, I've done myself 90 minutes of disservice in recovery. But I'm waking up without an alarm. I kind of, I start to hear, you know, birds outside and and I'm just like, oh, let's freaking go. And I'm not like dragging myself out of bed. I'm kind of hopping out of bed with a bit of fire in my belly. So I think if people, yeah, like you said, sometimes the things that people obsess over, they're obsessing over the things that are probably not actually incorrect. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. If you are doing that, then you're probably quite all right but if you are slapping that alarm clock or snoozing it or thinking oh i am really tired after a seven hour sleep or an eight eight hour sleep and you are still exhausted maybe there are some other things that we need to look at sure. again see what breaks see what breaks mm-hmm. in that respect that's um that's an interesting that's an interesting point um i also wanted to touch on a little bit uh today on how how you're currently assessing people that come to you with pain like it do you have a a certain dynamic that you assess people with initially and everybody will basically let's say i've got shoulder pain um and someone walks in it's like i have this debilitating shoulder pain i've had it for 10 years i've never been able to get rid of it what are some things that you look at in the beginning um because i know a lot of people take different approaches to this they will start looking at your looking at your ankles and your feet and your hips or they'll start looking at nutrition what is your approach to you know looking at someone's shoulder pain initially if i walk in and say hey I've got an impingement thing happening in the front of my shoulder. I've had it forever. What's the first thing that you do in terms of a step-by-step protocol? I want to back up one second, then I'll come and answer that. When when I was describing just did your eight hours and see what breaks, yeah. people will their immediate response is going to be, yeah, I get fired. That's what would break. I'm waking up to go to work. So I'm not actually asking you to get fired, but what I do want you to do is I want you to say, okay, well, so then I can't wake up after this time. So I have to go to bed before this time. And then do the mental exercise. You don't actually need the things to break. What's the thing that you hypothesize would break? Why Mm -hmm. would that break? What can we fix so that that won't break? Okay, how do we fix that? And keep on going until all of the things are corrected and now you can get your eight hours of sleep. So I want to, I just want to be clear with people that I understand life has constraint and you can't just go to bed and wake up whenever you feel like it and get fired from your job and say, Sean told me to do it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So how do we assess someone when they come in? It's, it's a much more biopsychosocial than uh, perhaps even people who are getting evaluated by us can can didn't describe. So the first thing we're looking to do in assessment is identify are people prepared to change how they think? Because usually when people come in with any kind of an ache or a pain, they view the ache or the pain as the problem. When they go to a physical therapist or a physio or a coach, 
the physio or the coach is oftentimes thinking, okay, that might not be the problem. That could be the result of the problem. Let's look for the problem. And then they go look for the physical problem that they can find that causes the other physical problem down the line. That's great. Um, but what led to you having that physical problem in the first place that led to you having the physical problem that you presented with? And are you mentally and emotionally in a position to change some things so that that doesn't happen again? Or do I need to tell you that we can help you resolve this, but it's going to continue to happen because you're not willing to change these things about yourself. Mm. And if yeah. the person, if the person is unwilling to start to think differently about what they're thinking about, that's the first thing we're evaluating. We don't even take them as a client. Mm -hmm. If they mm -hmm. are willing like to start that. thinking about what they're thinking about differently, then we start to reframe their own knowledge and education around how did this happen in the first place? You may or may not remember the load versus capacity graph that we drew for you. But the idea of it is for someone listening, we've all been to the place where we had one too many drinks when we went out when we were young and immature. Right? of course, none of us do that anymore. Uh, I'm sure some of us do. I'm just kidding. I have two drinks. I need like a week to recover from it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've all said like, oh, that last shot of tequila really put me over the top. It's like, sure, but if you didn't have 15 beers before the last shot of tequila, you would have been able to handle that shot of tequila. So let's not suggest that tequila is your problem. Maybe it's 15 beers before it. And when it comes to health and fitness and, and niggles, as you guys so affectionately call them, yep. um, it's, oh, yeah, it happened on this lift. It happened on this run. Well, no, it didn't. It, it happened for weeks or months or even years leading up to that run. And that was the, the run was the last shot of tequila. I love that, Sean. Like that is one thing that I hear on a regular basis in the gym is, Hey, I can't snatch anymore. I can't clean anymore because one time I did a clean and I hurt my back or one time I did a snatch and I screwed my shoulder or whatever it may be. And it's like, they're almost using it as the blame. The blame for their problem was that one snatch that one clean, that one time that they did a movement and now they've they've exited from ever wanting to repeat any of those movements again. But again, it could have been, and it most likely was a buildup effect from a lifestyle choice, uh, a job career choice, you know, maybe sitting in the car for nine hours a day being, you know, truck driver or something has just wound them up to a particular point, poor sleep. It's fascinating. And I think people need to really like take take note of that when they go away and have a think. It's like, hey, maybe it's not running 10 plus Ks anymore. That is, you know, I can't run more than five kilometers because I get sore calves or I get a sore ankle. It's potentially some other things outside of that that are building up to that point. And you may well be truly, truly capable of running 10 plus Ks five times a week if you are in the right state of mind and the right physical shape. Well, I know people who have been told never to lift more than 55 pounds off the ground again. And they they believe it. It's the story that they start telling themselves. And so what I like to ask them is, does that is that regardless of position? So like you can, if we load it from your hips and then you stand up, so your your back isn't even involved. You're not allowed to do that. I don't know. Well, Okay, so then the first thing we need to do is start changing the language, right? Like you're, you're not comfortable or you're uncomfortable pulling with your hands 55 pounds or more off the ground because somebody told you that it's dangerous for you. 
but we understand it's possible, right? Yes. Okay, great. So then we start to get into what, why 55? Why not 54? Why not 55 and a half? Why not 56? Uh, why not measure in kilo? So all, all of these things start to happen. And a really good way of describing part of our evaluation process is we'll say to somebody something along the lines of, so your, your ankle hurts. And so you don't go for a run anymore, right? Yes. Okay. If your ankle didn't hurt outside of running, what are things that you would do that right now you don't do? What is something that you would do if your ankle didn't hurt that right now you don't do? You haven't even tried it. Um, I would go for a long walk. Okay. I want, how long? Five miles. Great. When's that something you went for a one mile walk? Haven't done that. Okay. I want you to try going for a one mile walk before our next talk. Will you do that for me? If they say no, that's not a client. If they ask why, that could be a client. But if in the end we cannot get to yes, that's not going to be a client. Mm -hmm. Regardless mm -hmm. of what they're coming to us for, if they want to become what we call an active life professional, which is a world-class coach, they need to be ready to do things with their thought process and help other people do things with their thought process. Or we know that what happens is you're paying us a lot of money to help you. And when we ask you to do something, you're not going to do it. And then you're not going to turn around and be like, the program didn't work because everything in it is great, but I didn't follow through. Regardless of how accountable you guys held me, you're going to turn around and say it doesn't work. And so we can't take you on as a client. Mm. So for the people who are listening, who are, who are waiting for me to say, what would I, but what's the physical assessment? Mm. We start with passive range of motion testing to identify, is it something that, has to do with motor control or strength or weakness, or is it more likely a, a structural integrity issue or an inflammation at the joint level kind of a thing? This all happens after we've established you don't need to be with a medical provider. That's first. Mm -hmm. We are not for everybody. We are for people who, for whom we've helped rule out you need a medical provider. A lot of people come to us. We can't rule that out. Our next job is to do the work, go online, research medical providers who we would be comfortable sending our moms to and make a white glove introduction, like call the clinic on this person's behalf. And then when the clinic proves that there's someone we can refer to, we will call the client and call the clinic and make an introduction or connect them on email. Mm -hmm. and that's it we don't get paid for that it's fascinating that's so cool i think um i think people will start to really gravitate towards this type of concept just because so many things just fail and fail and fail and i can attest to this with first-hand experience working with you i remember and this is just for you know because people love again people love uh, like a success story, but they love to see data. They love to see numbers. They want to know what the process has happened for someone um, in its full truth. And I remember 
speaking with you about a shoulder injury or a shoulder niggle, as we like to call it, that I had for a really long time. I had it for two or three years prior and I thought, this is just the way it's going to be. It's always going to be pretty sore for the rest of forever and ever. And I'll just have to work around it and I'll be sore. It'll be, it'll be very painful doing muscle ups. It'll be very painful snatching. It'll be very painful doing handstand pushups just forever. And I'll just have to grin and bear it. I remember I used to go into the gym. I used to stretch the crap out of my pec. I used to try and open my bicep. I try stretch, mobilize, trigger point, massage, you name it. I did it like that. And I remember you just saying to me, I want you to do these tests for me. I want you to, I want you to tell me whether you can afford to spend this much time pre-training or after training to get the work done in and around this. And I said, yes, I'm full-time athlete. I will do what it takes to get this thing better. And you said, go and do these exercises for me. I'm just like, I thought to myself, why am I doing strength-based exercises for a pinpoint injury that hurts? Like my bicep tendon was killing me. Why am I doing these things? Like I, I thought, you know what? Trust in the process. I'm going to put my full faith in Sean knows what he's doing and I'm going to do this thing regardless. I think I remember you had me doing some behind the neck presses, which I'm very unfamiliar with. I remember you had me doing single arm high pulls. I'm just like, why am I doing high pulls? This is a movement I used to do when I was 12 years old, when I first got into the gym. I've never done a high pull since and I don't know why I'm doing them. And then we tested a couple of parameters and people will love this. We tested my high pull strength versus my strict pull-up strength. Vast difference. My strict pull-up at the time was like an 86 kilos of hanging, which is my body weight at the time. I could pull my body weight hanging from me to a pull-up. But I couldn't even lift a dumbbell, a 12-kilo dumbbell, for more than eight reps without pain in my shoulder. And I think this was a highlighted point for me where I knew, okay, there's something going on. And you highlighted this as a, as a you know, probably a, a mechanical strength imbalance that I had and I thought, wow, interesting. This is fascinating. And it also hurts for me to do that. And I remember you touching base with me on a weekly basis saying, you need to up the weight. You need to get stronger here. This is your imbalance, blah, blah, blah. And I, I loved the fact that I had tangible numbers to work from to know that if I got stronger, things would improve. And it did. I remember over a, a, a factor of, I think, six weeks, I went from struggling to lift an 8 to 12 kilo dumbbell for 8 to 12 reps to then by the end of the six to seven weeks doing a 30 kilo dumbbell for 30 reps was my best, I think, at the time. And as I progressively got stronger in that range, in this high pull range, my pain decreased equivalently in the opposite direction. And I was fascinated by it. And you know what? This is another big thing. I have not had shoulder pain since 2016, ever since then. It's been fascinating so for me to figure out. I'll give your audience the precise math that we're looking for there well we're looking do they know that you were who do they does your audience know who you are mm -hmm. yep okay so when it comes especially when it comes to elite crossfit athletes their ability and james ability to pull the shoulder down and the body up right so a pull up is extremely strong and has a ton of stamina because it gets tested in the CrossFit games and at every level of the CrossFit competition season. And it's, it's celebrated within the CrossFit gym because of that. So even the member, the everyday member deals with, they're really good at pulling and they're really in one direction and really poor at pulling in the other. So even those of you out there listening to this right now who don't have a pull-up, 
the likelihood is you're way better at pulling your shoulders down in a pull-up style movement than you are at pulling your shoulders up in a high pull style movement because you don't do it. When we look at a CrossFit gym, for example, most of the time when you would pull your shoulders in an upward direction, they're assisted by another part of your body. So you're assisting them with the hips, with the legs, with, with something. You're throwing a weight up. But when you're doing pull-ups, you're just pulling yourself up. If you're kipping, sure, but you were doing weighted pull-ups, strict pull all of it. So now what happens is this. We want to see that whatever you're able to do for a high for, for a pull-up, let's say you weigh 100 kilo. I'm going to keep the math really easy. And you can do 10 pull-ups, 10 pull-ups at 100 kilo. I want you to be able to take 30% of that, so 30 kilo, and do 10 high pulls with each arm. So 10 right arm, single arm, high pulls, 10 left arm, single arm, high pulls, each with 30 kilo. And the negative needs to be slower than the positive. So at least a one-to-one -one tempo, ideally a little bit slower on the way down than on the way up. And what we see is almost nobody can do that. But when we test people outside of a CrossFit gym, a lot of people can do it. They're not as mm -hmm. good at pull-ups and they're not as good at high pulls, but they're better at high pulls compared to pull-ups than a person in a CrossFit gym is. Mm -hmm. So the injury becomes unique to the person who finds himself in a CrossFit gym. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's rare that we take an everyday person off the street and program a bunch of high pulls. Mm. Yeah. Now you said um, it hurt. And that's relative. We've all laid on the table for a massage therapist and told them it hurts. Yeah. And then they said, do you want me to stop? And then what do we always say when the massage therapist says, do you want me to stop? <laughs> said, no. no, keep going. I need that. I need that. Uh -huh. So we had to break down what is pain mm. because it's actually that that doesn't tell us anything. So we define pain as a negative emotion associated with irritation made worse by uncertainty and irritation is just the conscious intake of stimulus. So I felt something pain is the decision. I didn't like it. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. I felt something, pain is the decision, I didn't like it. It's a negative emotion. The less clear you are on what it was that you felt that you didn't like, the more pain you experience. Irritation, though, is necessary to drive the change that you want. So we need to build awareness around what you're feeling so that you can go through that irritation without deciding to stop, which, by the way, is an injury. Once you decide to stop, you've injured yourself. Mm -hmm. So our rules are, if it hurts less than five out of 10 on a scale of one to 10, we're probably okay to do it. When we're doing it with control, I'm not talking about kipping movements and crazy CrossFit stuff. Yeah. If it gets better from rep to rep, we probably not only are okay to do it, we probably should be doing it more often. That's where I was. Yeah. If the moment that we stop, the pain goes away, the discomfort goes away. We didn't do any damage. If 24 to 48 hours later, we don't have any local pain, we can't point to a spot and say, this really bothers me right here. It's an additional level of confirmation that we didn't do anything wrong and we need to keep working this into our program. Most people avoid things that are discomfort. 
that's your physio, that's your coach, because it's, it's difficult to keep a client when everything you ask them to do is uncomfortable. And that's mm. why, like I said, we start with a uh, psychosocial evaluation before we even get into the physical. Mm, that's cool. I like that a lot. And I think that's something that people are unaccustomed with. I think a lot of probably practitioners these days, they want the client to stay. They want them to make them feel comfortable and they'll only push them to a, a point where they think they can mentally handle it with probably without doing uh, uh, a mental assessment first to say, Hey, look, we, we can, we can help you, but you also have to help yourself. You have to be in a position that you want this help to. And I, that's where I found myself. Um, and, you know, after I actually spoke about this on a multitude of podcasts, talking about my patella tendon tear that I had at that particular point in time um, from a fall that I had, actually it was a fall in California when I was competing. Um, and it was a buildup of probably a multitude of things over the course of time. And I've had since then over the last probably eight years, I want to say I've had at least probably two dozen people message me about patella tendon issues that they've had. And, you know, it, it it's so counterintuitive for people to want to load tendons. And I watched this tendon that I thought was going to, again, plague me for a long time. It was 13 months. I just didn't squat, didn't load it, didn't do anything, thought it would heal by itself. Um, and again, this is just, this is going into the, the, the practical application of an injury. And I know that you do so much more than that, but I think this is also great knowledge for people and personal experience that people can draw upon after taking a lot of time off and, and being very underprepared in terms of squatting ability that I needed for my, you know, my current goal was to go to the games and, you know, that's, it's it, obviously things change over time, but I went from having a 24 millimeter vertical tear right in the center of my patella tendon on just above the uh, tibial tuberosity. And I watched it over the course of three months go from 24 mils to 21 mils to 17 mils to 12 mils to seven to I think it was three was the scan and then nothing. And I was fascinated by how this worked. And I remember you gave me protocols like isometric loading um eventually when it started to feel a lot better we were doing eccentric loading and we were putting load into that tendon can this is something that again is very um misconstrued i think throughout all of society tell me a little bit about tendon loading and tell me a little bit about why they love it yeah a tendon is a is basically a pressure sensor so think of a tendon as it, it responds to pressure and the pressure I'm talking about is, is tension, right? It's not down pressure. It's not like rubbing into it. They don't respond at all to massage. Uh, you can scrape them till the cows come home. There's very little that's going to happen there. And if you foam roll it or lacrosse ball it, you're basically wasting your time. So tendons need force to be put through them. And a lot. If you took your tendon and attached it to the back of a truck and somehow fixed some kind of a pulley device to the tendon, you would be able to drag that truck with your tendon if you pulled linearly. Uh, they're going to tear before they're going to stretch. Yeah. And that makes sense. I actually have a video that uh, I should post that I just filmed about tendons and why they don't stretch and why that's a good thing. But so the, anyway, the, 
they respond to forces put through them. And they're going to adapt their shape to the direction of the force and the extremes of the force. So if you pull a tendon haphazardly, left, right, up, down, it's going to grow back haphazardly when you break it down because it breaks down with exercise. It's going to grow back in the directions that it needs to be stronger for next time that you use it that way. It's very uncomfortable to load tendons when they're problematic. I'm dealing with one right now. I have to do it when I'm working up on myself because I find myself screaming at the end of a rep a lot. It's uncomfortable. But if you can put a tendon on load, figure, like ideally it's an 8 out of 10 for, for difficulty in terms of how heavy it is. And you can keep it on that load for what we a 4-second eccentric and a 3-second concentric. So 4 down, 3 up without stopping in between. There are rep schemes. I'm happy to share it with anybody who listens to this. They can shoot me a DM I'll, or if I can give it to you somehow, we can get the rep schemes to them that are that are uh, third-party tested. The tendon will repair itself over mm -hmm. the course of eight to 12 weeks. If it doesn't repair itself over the course of eight to 12 weeks, it could need a second round of the whole thing. But it will repair itself if it's not surgical. The thing that people need to be comfortable with is this is gonna suck mm. a lot. Yeah. And when people think about tendons, they think about, I have tendonitis. That's all people think about when it comes to tendonitis. Anything that ends in ITIS, itis, is an inflammatory condition. What that means is you're experiencing your discomfort because there are inflammatory cells in the area. Okay, think about it. Like they're extra warriors who came to kill the bad guys to protect you. And all the bad guys are gone, but the warriors are still around swinging their swords. That hurts. We need to give them something to do, right? But when it comes to inflammation like that, what they need to do is rest. They genuinely just need to stop swinging your swords. Everyone here now is a good guy, right? So stop swinging your swords. That's inflammation. What often happens is after six weeks of feeling that way, people are like, I, I can't do anything. It just hurts to move. And six weeks ago, it would have gotten worse every time you did a rep. You're right. You shouldn't be moving, but you haven't tested it in six weeks. Now it would get better after every rep. It's not mm -hmm. tendonitis anymore. It's not inflammation. It's not reactive. Now it's tendinosis, which is degeneration. It's a haphazard redevelopment of the tendon. And that needs physical load, time under tension, a lot of it to start to fix itself. But you won't know until you start to figure out, is this getting better from rep to rep? You won't know that unless you load with the appropriate amount of load. Because if you go with too much, a weight you're comfortable lifting, it could be too intolerable. And you're like, oh, it's not ready yet. But it, it could be ready. You could have to go with no weight at all. Mm -hmm. So all of that to say we live on this spectrum from inflammatory to degenerative. And the way that we need to resolve that issue depends on where we are on that spectrum, on that mm -hmm. continuum. And it's, it's wise to find a coach or a physio 
who can help you make a determination as to where you are and then start to resolve it. I'll give you this. If you have stuff that is in either of those camps, the worst thing that you can do for them are traditional CrossFit movements because there's no eccentric component to them. Yeah. And the eccentric is where most of the healing for the tendon happens. Yes. I I regurgitate these words. I remember you speaking to me quite some time ago and I regurgitate them to the cows come home talking about, you know, for instance, push like push pressing for the most part, like you'll, you'll force it up. You'll force it through the concentric part. You'll let it fall down effortlessly. And your aim in the game with CrossFit is to try and get things yourself and objects from A to B as efficiently and using as minimal energy as possible and loading down through an eccentric pressing position is hard. It's freaking Mm -hmm. hard. It's hard to load down through the squat. And that's why when we teach this CrossFit style stuff, people will drop from their extended positions or their finishing positions straight back to the start to reserve the energy. But doesn't mean when you're doing that in competition, you have to do that all the time in your training to keep yourself strong in the training aspect doing those eccentric movements and loads aren't only going to keep you stronger, but they're going to keep you healthy at the same time. And I think a lot of people miss out on those because all they want to do is race the clock, race the dude next to them, you know, prime themselves for competition, but then they get bogged down with injuries and pain and all these other things. But essentially they need to, you know, regressing back to some old school bodybuilding style stuff is always great. And you had me doing a lot of that stuff leading into you know, my best years in on the CrossFit competition floor. I remember one year, it would have been 2016. I think it was 2016, actually. I hadn't really touched the dumbbell. I was doing only barbell work because, you know, in my mind, I was just weak and I needed the barbell in my hands. We spent the 90% of that off season and leading into the open and to the regionals of that year working with a dumbbell. We did only dumbbell stuff. We did dumbbell unilateral movements, eccentric loading. And look what happened. 2016, there was no barbell at the regionals. We used only a dumbbell and we crushed it. We were so yep. strong in every dumbbell movement there was. Mm-hmm. And, and the other, the, well, the, the other thing is this. CrossFit talks about being good in broad time and modal domains. What does that mean? Because what I like to ask people is, what part of you needs to be good? Like, does it matter if we, are we fit if we trash our tendons, but we moved fast through the workout? If the answer to that is yes, fine. I can help you do that. Not as well as some other people. I'm not the guy for it, but I can help you do it. If the answer for you is no, if you're someone who's saying, I do CrossFit because I want to live a better life, then you need to supplement with CrossFit not do CrossFit. Like it's got to be a modality that you tap into, not the one that you do all the time, because you need to have days that you're intentionally loading your tendons for the sake of recovering and, and, and frankly, providing the inputs that they need to be healthy to keep up with the development of the musculoskeletal system from all the work that you're doing on the CrossFit floor. Otherwise they break down, they break down predictably. And that's the same for a triathlete. It's the same for a runner. It's the same for any sport athletes. I recommend anybody working on in sport, 
spend at least uh, 10% of their training time developing tendon health for the sake of tendon health, where you're like, I'm definitely not getting fitter. I'm definitely not getting stronger. This feels like I'm going backwards. And the reality is all you're doing is reducing the likelihood of injury in that time. Yeah. And, and again, I can attest to this 100%. Since that point in time, after understanding the importance of loading the tendons, I haven't had knee pain since. As I'm getting older, I don't get knee pain. As I'm getting older, I don't get shoulder pain. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I'm still lifting, you know, whilst I, again, I'm training probably five times less than I used to back in the day. I'm still just as strong as I was then, Some in some instances stronger. Um, I definitely don't have the battery or that backup, you know, seven to 15 minute battery that I used to have, but that just requires time. Um, I think it's so important for me, especially, and this was one of my goals when I started this whole journey of wanting to become a professional athlete, and I probably didn't realize it in the first few years, but I wanted to be able to pick up and go for a surf when I'm 60 mm -hmm. years old. I want to make sure I have the range, the ability, the strength. Uh, I wanted, I didn't want to be doing it uncomfortably. I didn't want to be doing it in pain and, you know, coming out of a surf session and being like, man, my hips are killing me. My knees are killing me. My ankles are sore. I'm stiff. I can't, I can't rotate. My spine hurts. I wanted to make sure that I could be as competitive as I, you know, as I could be on the competition floor, but then also be able to live a life that was happy and healthy at the same time. And I think by doing these things and understanding the importance of these loading mechanisms, like this is the stuff that people don't get taught in high school. They don't do tertiary education. They don't find this stuff out. So where are they going to go to find out this information? Like they, they can't, and not everybody can go get a, a degree in this stuff. So I think these types of things are, are, are so important to talk about on podcasts like this, because this just might incite someone to go and, understand their tendons a little bit more or contact you to get more information or contact your team to get more information on how can I deal with my patella tendon pain or my shoulder pain that I've been living with for 30 years and have never been able to get rid of because I've always been told to stretch it out <laughs> or mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's the conclusion I got to. Well, I'll say this for anybody who's listening to this, who, who is what you just described. We want to talk to you. We might want to work with you. We might tell you that we shouldn't work with you. But here's, here's a question I always ask people because the number one thing that they're thinking about right now is it's probably expensive. I don't know if I want to do all that. I don't want to spend, if I want to spend that kind of money. It's $1,250 US for your first month and then $400 every month thereafter until we solve your problem. And then you're going to tell us I want to stay for life. That's, that's what happens. Now, you may have just disqualified yourself and said, I can't do that. No way. Can't afford it. Whatever, 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 whatever. What I ask you is fine. Ask yourself this. And if you're a coach, by the way, it's 15,000 US. And we'll teach you how to do this for your clients. Now, no way. I can't afford that. No way. Okay, fine. That's on the table. What I like to ask people is let's just pretend that you spent the money. Let's pretend as an individual, you, you worked with us for a full year. You spent $4,400 for 11 months and $1,250 for the month up front. So you're in the whole $5,650 US. You're a coach. You spent $15,000 to work with us or $1,315 a month for 13 months. That money's gone. Let's start with the individual. At the end of the year, if 
if you had a genie, I'm not Sean Pastooch from Active Life. I'm a genie. And with 100% certainty, all of the problems that you came to us for are gone. All of the problems you didn't even know that you had and found out along the way are also gone. You like the way your body looks more. You've increased your self-esteem. Your social circle has changed. You're making more money. All of those things as a result of the mindset that we put into you and that we help you to facilitate over time. At the end of the year, we have a deal. The deal is you either take back all of the situation that you had before you worked with us. None of the stuff that you gained do you get to keep. All of it goes away. And we'll even give you, we'll match the money and give you back double. Or, or you just keep your new life and we keep your money. Mm. Which one do you take? Mate, I know exactly and what I take. <laughs> everybody does. So what it really comes down to is it's not a money thing, James. It's a confidence that it's actually going to work thing. Mm -hmm. That's all it comes down to. And the confidence that it's actually going to work oftentimes, believe it or not, isn't even about me. It's not even about us. It's about their belief that they're going to be able to do it because they've yeah. tried other things. They haven't stuck to it. It hasn't worked. Why would I be able to do this with you guys? Mm -hmm. Well, the difference is how we started. Nobody else is evaluating your mental interest, capacity, or desire to see it through. Mm -hmm. And so they take you as a client, they make you promises, and it falls short. That's why we start there. It's, it's fascinating. And then when it comes to the professional, it's the same thing, except it's not your body. It's the bodies, the minds, the lives of your clients and your bank account. Mm. We'll give wow. it back and we'll double it, but you get your problems back. <laughs> yeah. And oh, man, that's, I think that's, that's, again, that's something that you guys do very differently from the, I guess the, you know, the everyday or the general the general uh, pool of people that are in the, the helping other people space is that I think it's such a competitive space that how do you differentiate what you do to everybody else? And I think what you guys do extremely well and world-class and probably the best in the world at it is you vet the people that you bring aboard properly. You do it in a way that allows them to understand what they're getting themselves into. They need to understand the process and they also need to understand the results that they're going to see by doing it. And I think even for practitioners that practitioners that are looking to really make a change, furthering your education is always worth it. It's always going to be worth it. Getting better at what you do to become the absolute best you can. And this is just investing in yourself. And you look at everyone who does really well and achieves high standards, they're investing a substantial amount of what they earn on a day-to-day -day basis, doing what they do back into themselves to make themselves better at what they do. And this is this goes for entrepreneurs, this goes for sports athletes, this goes for mums and dads. They're always looking to improve what they do. It's just like, how much do you want to improve? That's, I think, it yeah. comes down. Yeah, that's so, it. It's fascinating. Mate, is, um, last, last thing I want to touch on, what have you got planned for the next 12 months? What, what, is, what are two things that you're looking at doing in the next 12 months? 
I've just been through an exercise myself, a personal development or a personal revel, uh, personal revelation, whatever you want to look at, uh, exercise, where I wrote out all of the attributes about myself that I'm super proud of, all of the attributes about myself that I really want to improve, like the, the, the things I don't like. And then I, I came up with a third column of the antonyms, the opposite of the things that I don't like. So what is the opposite of that that I would like to be moving into? Because it's easy for us to talk about what we don't like and what we don't want. It's difficult for us to talk about what we do want. So an easy way to do that is what don't you want? What's the opposite? Here's what I want to be. Then at the bottom of both of those lists, I wrote a word that described all of the words. So currently I wrote leader, Sean. That's, that's, that's the good version of me. You don't write anything under the things you don't like. And then you go to the side that has all the things you want to be better at, like the things that the don't like become. And what's the word for those? And the answer was easy. Like I want to be, I, I just want to think, I want, I want easy thoughts. I make so I take so much energy into everything I do. I want to just do things more easily. So um, I'm working on moving from leader to leader easy, right? And what you do after that is you write down what are the things that leader easy Sean would do if he was already leader easy Sean? And then instead of thinking about how do I become, how do I do better at these things that are on the easy side for me, you just start doing the things that leader easy Sean would do. And you're forced to become those things in order to do them. And so in the next 12 months, besides having a new baby, which, which is a big deal, but I, that's already, it's already going on. Um, <laughs> I'm going to travel a lot more than I was before. Because travel for me uh, is anxiety riddled. I don't like the act of leaving. I don't like the flying. I don't like the getting from destination to destination part. I love being there. I don't love the, the getting there. So I'm going to travel more. And um, I'm going to pick up a new hobby. I'm going to start training Muay Thai. Great. Because uh, the version of me I want to be does that. That's cool. Well, that that's fascinating because next year I'm going to go do an eight week Muay Thai camp in Mexico. Okay. It's maybe 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 we catch up in Mexico at some point and we do some training, Sean. <laughs> hey, that's it. I've never done it before, so it'll be um. Well, I've actually done a little bit when I was in high school, but that's that's cool. That's really cool. I would also like to do some jujitsu as well. I mm -hmm. think um I think that's one side of me that I haven't really tapped into is any combat combat sport. So. I think that's something that needs to be um, needs to be uh, achieved at some at some point in time, and I think next year's twenty twenty four will be will be the time. I start Monday because I really don't want to, so I'm going to. <laughs> I love it, mate. Well, that sounds like a really exciting twelve months, and mate, I'm so mind blown with when we first met. You were already doing so well and changing people's lives, and it looks like you've just amped it up and amplified it to a scale that I guess only dreams are made of, and that's fantastic. Thank you. I, I really, um, I want to tell your audience that we really do want to work with them if they want to come work with us because uh, I have a, not because, and I have a hard time finding satisfaction where I am always. So you're right. Like if, if in 2016, if someone said to me, this is your company, are you scale of one to 10? How happy are you? I'm a 10. But if you ask me now, I'm a six. And I, if you asked me then, I was a six. I'm like, I live at a six. Yeah. 
I want more. I want mm. more impact. I want more people. I want more influence. I want to I want to allow so many people who today are compromising with how they live to stop compromising and live a life of freedom. That's that's our mission and we're going to do it. That's fascinating. I love it. I love it. And it, and again, for anybody that is listening, I've worked with Sean before and you'll be nothing but absolutely amazed and astounded by the improvements you will get from participating and understanding what active like do. So, um, you can yeah, hand, hand on heart, say, give it a go. And if you are dealing with pain, I can, I don't want to give a, I don't want to give the guarantee because the guarantee actually comes down to the individual themselves to make mm -hmm. the effort, the dedication commitment to doing the process and to doing it, how it's supposed to be done. But if they do do that, you will find a piece. So please I appreciate enjoy that. it. You know, your, your, your boy, uh, Tom Porter had a good experience as well recently and people hey, should know. Fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. We, we don't, you don't have to be local to us. We're, we're remote companies. We work with people from around the world. If, if you're thinking about that, the last thing I will say is it's, I know you want to get out of pain. If someone's listening to this, thinking about pain. It's not about your pain. And I want you to own that. It's not about your pain. It's about the part of your life that the pain is causing you to lose. That's what you're thinking about coming to me to work with us for is mm -hmm. I'm losing this part of my life. I want it back. So as soon as you can stop thinking about the pain as the problem, and instead the loss of that part of your life as the problem, you are already 50% of the way to solving it. Love it. I love it. All right. That's amazing. Sean, thank you so much for joining us on the Fiber Performance Podcast. This was episode 31. So thank you so much. And I look forward to having you back on for episode 81 when uh, when you're killing it and we've already had a camp in Mexico somewhere doing some Mufi. I, I will come on anytime you want, James Newberry. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. And you have a good day. You too. See you, dude. See you.